This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast brought to you by Art Wiederman, CPA with Ide Bailey. Whether it's taxes and investing or planning wisely, Art is the expert to make your dental practice profitable. At Ide Bailey, what inspires you inspires us. We provide a suite of accounting and advisory services dedicated to the total care of your practice. Visit our website to access our tools and resources tailored for dentists, idebailey.com slash dentist. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com slash dentist. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Art Wiederman, CPA, and Ide Bailey, LLP are not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information or opinions shared. If you have questions and or feedback, make sure to email Art over at awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com. You can also give Art a call at 657-279-3243. Without further delay, here's your host, Dental CPA, Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management. I'm your host, Art Wiederman. It's nice to be with you on this Sunday evening in uh, Southern California, December the 13th. Uh, as we've told you, we're now just about nine months into our uh, COVID-19 pandemic, and we're date stamping these uh, these podcasts. And I've been waiting every single week to see what Congress is going to do. And um, I want to report to you for this week. This one will be published on uh, Wednesday the 16th. We may have a package by then. We have to have something done by the 18th, it looks like, but we're going to get into all that detail. But what I want to share with you tonight is a bunch of things. I want to share with you some uh, information about the current proposals and why it's going to be important for you to start gathering information uh, on your revenues from 2019 and 2020 because there is a very good chance uh, that we're going to have a stimulus package that's going to open up an additional uh, amount of PPP money to everyone. So uh, the CPAs of the world, our nightmare will continue for maybe another year, but that's a good thing for those of you who have been harmed by this pandemic financially. So we're going to talk about the stimulus packages. We're going to talk about the what we think is going to happen and what you need to do to get ready for all of this and your forgiveness. We're also going to talk about the HHS Provider Relief Fund, and uh, they've come out, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services has come out with uh, rules on what exactly you have to have and provide, and I'm going to walk you through the calculations. Now, uh, if you are the CEO or COO of a hospital or a critical care unit or a whole bunch of nursing homes, uh, you may have to go get a master's degree in how all this works. I will tell you that the folks at my firm, which is Ide Bailey, uh, I'm a dental director at Ide Bailey. Uh, <laughs> the folks at Ide Bailey are going absolutely bat crazy over these reporting requirements. However, for dentists, I think it's going to be a lot easier. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some uh, final year-end tax planning things that I don't know if we've touched on before, but I just want to make sure you're ready for the end of 2020. So uh, we're going to hit a whole bunch of different things. Uh, I want to give you some information first. Uh, I want you to uh, go on to our partner, Decision and Dentistry's website, which is www.decisionsanddentistry.com. Decisions and Dentistry is one of the one of the best clinical magazines in the country, if not the best. Uh, they have amazing articles and continuing education courses uh, here's some of the courses you can uh, you can get. And by the way, you can uh, for one low price you can get 140 courses uh, at the touch of your um, computer. Um, at the touch of your computer, you can get 140 courses uh, for one very low annual price. But uh, these courses are examples. Uh, these courses are infection control considerations for electric and air driven hand pieces. Um, this one is a CE course sponsored by Colgate, which is called Improving Health with Digital Dentistry. Uh, and then uh, Laminar Impressions for Unsupported Maxillary, 
knew I was going to mess that word up. I practiced it three times before I was going to read it. Maxillary tissue. So I apologize for anybody who is a fan of maxillary tissue if I screwed up that word. But anyway, www.decisionsindentistry.com. Also, folks, if you're looking for a dental-specific CPA anywhere in the United States, uh, that is uh, www.adcpa.org. And uh, yeah, we have 24 member firms of which Ide Bailey is one of them. We represent over 10,000 dentists. Ide Bailey uh, represents close to 800 dentists. And we've got pretty much every resource you're ever going to need in our firm. It's, it's every, every single day I've been part of this firm for the last four months. I'm finding new things that these people do that I didn't know that they did. So, uh, but if you're looking anywhere in the country, that is uh, where you want to go, www.adcpa.org. Well, folks, before I get into our topic tonight, um, you know that I'm a founding member of our Academy of Dental CPAs, and uh, they're my family. They're my professional family, and I am very, very tight with many of them, and uh, I have to report some very sad news about our family. Uh, We lost a member of our family, and um, this is a very, very special member. Um, About 20 years ago when we formed this group, Uh, we had nine people in a room with a table and two pitchers of water. Uh, And uh, there were nine of us who came in. I'm not going to mention all the names, but one of them was was a guy from Baltimore by the name of uh, Alan Schiff. And Alan's the only one who walked into the room with boxes and boxes of marketing materials. And none of us had anything more than a pad of paper and a glass for our water. And it was very obvious from the beginning that Alan had a passion for uh, the accounting profession that he uh, worked in as a CPA, as well as a passion for working with dentists. So as we got uh, got this group formed, we started having meetings. Um, you know, most of our spouses who came to the meetings, they would come and they would maybe go around town and see what was going on in the different cities. Uh, but at every single meeting, Alan's wife, Cindy Schiff, was at the meetings. Now, Cindy was a member of... Uh, of Alan's team was uh, his right arm, uh, his wife, certainly. And um, she was at every meeting taking notes, taking pictures of of everybody. Uh, Well, I am very, very sad to report that um, we lost Cindy uh, a week ago Friday. Um, I knew Cindy was ill. Uh, Cindy had come to the meetings um, and she was not well. You You could tell her, her, she was, wasn't really able to speak very much, but she had that wonderful smile on her face. So I got a call from my dear friend, Alan, who's one of my dearest friends in the whole world, uh, a week ago, Saturday morning. And it, it was actually a text and I kind of knew what it was. I was afraid, but then he called me and said that Cindy had passed away. Um, and I, he had never mentioned to any of us what Cindy had. And it turned out that Cindy had ALS, which is Lou Gehrig's disease, which is all of us know is a horrible, horrible, debilitating disease that just basically uh, has no cure. And Cindy was diagnosed, uh, I, I said in the, um, uh, Cindy was diagnosed about three years ago. Uh, in the, Alan and I are both Jewish. In the Jewish religion, uh, when someone passes away, you do what's called sitting Shiva. And uh, usually that's uh, 10 people coming over to a home and praying and remembering the individual. And obviously we can't do that now with COVID. So we had a virtual Shiva and there were over 100 people on there. And Alan uh, asked me to say the first group of words about Cindy. So I will tell you what I said. Um, Every single time I saw Cindy at one of our ADCPA meetings, um, she never had a frown on her face. She was always smiling. She was always happy. And every single time during a break, she'd walk by me. She would grab me without exception. She would hug me and hold me for 5, 10, 15 seconds and just say, I love you so much. And that's what she did. And she was one of the most loving human beings you would ever meet. And she helped the ADCPA with a lot of administrative tasks. And the the most amazing thing, and Alan is our president. The reason I'm taking the time on this podcast is because Alan during this pandemic, has been a spokesman for the American Dental Association. Um, Alan has done webinars with upwards of 10 to 15,000 people 
educating all of the dentists on PPP and the rules and what was going on. And I was doing that, but Alan was doing it for the American Dental Association. And as I think about it now, the fact that Alan was even functioning during this last year that he was taking care of Cindy, he never let on about any of it. Um, the man is a saint. And for those of you who are um, who knew Alan or, or clients of Alan, we have a lot of listeners on the East Coast. We have a lot of listeners. And for those of you who are um, who know Alan, who are friends with Alan, uh, who care about Alan, um, I would like you to maybe um, make a donation to the ALS Foundation. And we will put uh, the information in the meeting notes for today's podcast. But I just want to tell you that Cindy was a loving, wonderful, kind human being that just just loved people. And my heart is broken, as is all the members of our academy. And again, for those of you, I know that there are clients of Alan's in Baltimore, which is where he's from, um, who, uh, who knew, who knew Cindy very well, who are clients of Alan, friends of Alan, who have listened to Alan lecture. Maybe you, you know, Alan lectures regularly at the University of Maryland Dental School. Uh, if you were a student listening to Alan, drop him a line, let him know you heard this news because maybe not everybody has heard it. But uh, Cindy, God bless you. I love you. And um, we all loved you. We will miss you very, very much. And Alan, uh, just uh, so you know, the entire dental community is here for you to help you if you need us. How you made it through the last two to three years um, taking care of Cindy and you were taking care of her every single day. I know that. Uh, is And doing all you've done for your clients, your family, uh, and the dental profession. Um, and uh, God bless uh, your boys, uh, Jordan, Michael, and Eric, and um, Cindy will be missed. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Cindy on the podcast today. All right, let's move on to our topic, which, uh, which is uh, we're going to talk about the stimulus bill and what's going on. And maybe, maybe, maybe we're going to have a deal. So here's kind of where we're at, folks. All right, it's Sunday night. Uh, Congress is going to recess for the holidays, probably on the 18th, which is next Friday. Okay. So what we have is, you know, we had negotiations and more negotiations and talking and nothing was going to happen before the election. And we all knew that because nobody wanted to, you know, nobody wanted to budge. Nobody wanted to flinch, uh, because they were afraid that if they, if they made a move, uh, it would affect the election. The election is over. What we have now is we're now at the end of the year, and we have a lot of things that are going on, folks. First of all, you have to realize that uh, job growth is down. The jobs report was bad for the month of November. It came out last week. Uh, I think there were, um, you know, it, it was maybe half of what people had hoped. Six in 10 people have been infected have been impacted financially by this pandemic. Uh, I handed out food about a week ago uh, at a high school, at a local high school in Southern California um, with uh, two of my best friends in the world who have been uh, involved in a wonderful charity. And uh, we basically uh, took boxes of food, perishables and non-perishables and um, a hand sanitizer and masks. And we basically, my job was to open the trunk, put the boxes in the car and hold up signs in several different languages, wishing Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, uh, and just, you know, a, a ray of hope for people. And they were all very appreciative. So this is going on all over the country. Um, unemployment benefits are going to end for about 12 million people at the end of this month, uh, as is the provisions for um Evictions. Now, as, as you may or may not know, landlords have been forbidden uh, in evicting people uh, from their apartments uh, by federal law. And they are still to some extent in some states, but the federal, um, the federal guidelines for uh, avoiding evictions is going to go away. So that is going to be an issue. And there's going to be tens of millions of people who could be evicted from their apartments. 
So it's not good. They need to do something. They need to put some money back in the in the um, in the economy. As we know, COVID has spiked big time. We're averaging now upwards of three thousand deaths a day. Uh, we're probably going to hit three hundred thousand deaths in this country uh, tomorrow or the next day. And it's it, it's not good. The hospitals are overflowing. They have to do something, and they know they have to do something. The problem is, is that they've got some issues. So let me tell you what we got going on here. A couple of weeks ago, they have this group called the Gang of Eight, which are eight uh, uh, senators. I, be- I believe they're senators. If, they're, if I'm not, I'm, I will be corrected. But they're the Gang of Eight are uh, eight uh, members of Congress who put together a 908 billion dollar bipartisan um, stimulus package. And I want to share with you some of the things that are in that stimulus package. So in that stimulus package, um, you've got, first of all, in this $908 billion package, which is the one that everybody seems to believe has the most traction to get passed, $160 billion as the basis for good faith negotiations for state and local governments. See, here's what's going on. And the reason we don't have a deal is this is that the Democrats want state and local funding. That's that's what they want. Because again, you know, people work for the state just like they work for restaurants or they work for nail or hair, hair salons. So they want funding for, for, for these state governments. My, one of my best friends is the legal counsel for a major museum. And he says, Art, we got one point you know, seven billion dollars, $1.7 million a month we're having to burn through to keep the museum, you know, operating, not getting kicked out of our building and everything like that. And they're having to look at their endowment funds and, and, and things. And, and that's where state and local government aid would be helpful. The Republicans want liability protection. So the reason that that's important to the Republicans, and especially to Mitch McConnell, who's this, um, um, who's in charge of the Senate on the Republican side, and they have the majority there, is is they want to make sure that if an employee is working in a business, any business, and they contract COVID-19, that they can't just say, oh, well, because I was working, I am going to sue you. And so both sides are kind of bartering over that topic. It's the wording. Um, we may say we may see a bill that comes out that has everything else that's been agreed to Talk about in a minute. And it may just say that, you know, on liability protection and state and local government funding, we're going to table that until January, and we're going to see if we can come to an agreement then. So on unemployment, uh, this $908 billion stimulus bill, and I'm reading from the, um, the latest summary we have, which is about a week ago, there's no law that we have been provided yet with any of the details. Uh, it'll extend all pandemic unemployment programs by 16 weeks from their expiration at the end of December. So remember, whatever unemployment was going on, it's done at the end of December. Number two, um, federal supplemental unemployment benefits will be expanded for 16 weeks by $300 a week. So if you remember, they gave people $600 a week back in March, which motivated people to stay home. And a lot of a lot of the uh, you know, a lot of people were upset about that because it it basically uh, employees were making more money by staying home than they were by working. Well, three hundred is kind of what they landed on, so three hundred is better than nothing. That's twelve hundred dollars a month plus. Remember, that's only federal. The state will also pay you amounts of money um, for unemployment benefits, uh, and that you know that could be five hundred to a thousand dollars a month. Who knows? It just depends on the state that you're in. So that could be very, very helpful for people. Um, and there'd be a billion dollars for state systems for technology modernization and fraud protection. And uh, basically, that that's what we would have there. Now, here's the next thing. And this is having to do with the PPP program. So as you all know, there was a hundred, uh, I'm sorry, uh, $349 billion was put out for the PPP program in March. Um, of that amount, about 130 was thirty billion was not spent. People kind of soured on the program, but there's all that money is there. And I suspect they're going to use that money as part of this whole bill. Uh, and they're, they're going to fund potentially a second round of PPP. So 
300 billion dollars would go to small to the SBA to fund a second paycheck protection program. Uh, funding to I'm just going to read this to you funding to allow um, the hardest hit small businesses to receive a second forgivable paycheck protection program loan. Eligibility would be limited to small businesses with 300 or fewer employees that have sustained a 30% revenue loss. Here's the important words in any quarter of 2020. Now, let's think about that 30% revenue loss. Let's think about the dental profession because you think about your restaurants, restaurants open, then they close, and they open, then they're open for takeout, then they're open for 25% capacity indoor, then they're open for outdoor dining. They're all over the place. The dental profession is pretty consistent as far as what happened in 2020. The dental profession shut down for the most part on March 16th, the week of March 16th. And what happened was, is that they opened up pretty much somewhere between May 15th and say June 15th, probably most, a lot of my doctors opened June 1st. So eight to 12 weeks. So what quarter is that in? That's in the second quarter. So in the second quarter of 2020, uh, many of my doctors had revenues that were not down by 30%. They were maybe down 50, 60, 70% because they weren't open. So many of you will qualify. Now, again, the devil's in the details, and we don't know what's in the details. Uh, they're going to provide uh, some additional benefits for 501c6 uh, organizations, uh, which are specific types of um, uh, not-for-profits. Uh, now, they're going to add that forgivable expenses are not only the four top the four topics that we've always we've been talking about for nine months, which is payroll, rent, utilities, and, and interest costs, but it will allow you to also have forgiven expenses to include supplier costs and investment in facility modifications and PPE to operate safely. So that will be helpful. Um, Business expenses paid for with the proceeds of PPP loans are tax deductible. Huge, folks, huge, consistent with congressional intent in the CARES Act. That was the intent. They just didn't write it into the bill. So this basically gives us deductibility on PPP. As you know right now, if you've listened to my podcast every week, what's happening with PPP is that you got a loan, it's forgivable, okay? But the government says, since I'm giving you, since we're giving you free money, then we're not going to let you write off the expenses. So that's where we're at right now. So for every tax projection that we've done, we've added back 50, 75, $100,000, $300,000, depending on how big your PPP loan was. This would make it deductible. There is humongous bipartisan support for this. Uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin is absolutely drawing a line in the sand, saying we are not changing our position. And the only way to make PPP expenses deductible is if Congress passes a law. Now, on January 20th, or maybe sooner, I don't know, uh, uh, Janet Yellen is going to be, um, May, I think it's first week of January, actually, uh, she will become the Secretary of the Treasury. Now, Janet Yellen is a really smart lady. She was the head of the Federal Reserve. Really, really, really smart lady. So she might say, you know what, guys? Reverse it. <laughs> if Congress doesn't pass anything, reverse it. I guarantee you she's going to have lots of new friends in the restaurant industry, the CPAs, the lawyers, the account, the um, uh, the dentists, the physicians. Everybody out there is going to be lobbying and has been lobbying for this. Uh, they're going to go ahead. And the other thing that's really huge here is right now, if you have a PPP loan that is less than $50,000, you should be filing for forgiveness. You use a form 383508S. It's a two-page form. You basically have to just show that you use 60% of this money for payroll costs. And that's it. You're done. You don't have to have Proof that you have the same number of full-time equivalent employees at the end of your covered period. You don't have to have proof that you kept everybody on payroll and you didn't reduce their hourly wage or salary by more than 25% rules that the SBA still hasn't given us all the detailed guidance that we need on and probably never will as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I'm not holding my breath. 
And if the loan is under $50,000, it's easy. So this bill, if passed in its form, would simplify the process for borrowers with loans of 150000 or less. I would say that if I took a poll of all of my listeners, I'm going to tell you that 80 to 85% of you have PPP loans of less than $150,000. And so we might have the form 3805S just might now, they'll just put a one in front of the 50 and make it 150000 That's why, folks, there is no rush to file for PPP forgiveness. Okay. If you're under 50,000, I would say file and get it over with. It's no big deal. Uh, and I do have many clients who have filed. The banks right now are moving pretty quickly because they don't have a lot of loans in. If you wait to file for forgiveness, and remember, you have 10 months from the end of your covered period. So if you're under your covered period, was say October the 15th uh, of 2020, you have till August, August 15th of 2020, 2021, to basically file for forgiveness. Well, if you wait till August 1st, um, it's going to take forever. So I would say let's wait this week because again, folks, if they're going to do something, okay, if they're going to do something, they're going to do it by this Friday. Now, um, Senator Joe Manchin, who's a Democrat, um, he was interviewed this morning on uh, Chris Wallace's program on Fox News. And, uh, you know, he was basically taking the position that right now, Senator McConnell is the one kind of hold. Now, he's a Democrat, so he's going to blame Republican. And I'm not getting into politics again, folks, but he's saying, you know, it is Mitch McConnell who is kind of holding the line because he wants the liability protection. If Senator McConnell backs off on that, much better chance we're going to go and get a deal. Um, there's a lot of people who are in Congress that are saying we can't leave Washington. We cannot leave Washington without a deal. So I think this is my prediction. I think that by the time you hear this, which will be on Wednesday, uh, I think that they will either come to a deal. And, and one of the things that could very well happen is they could put this $908 billion program up for um, for a vote tomorrow, the 14th, Monday. Then they could see. They may be able to get it passed. Who knows? Um, but they want to see where they're at. That's a possibility. May happen, may not happen. Uh, but they, are, they have been negotiating all weekend. They're continuing to negotiate. Um, uh, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, has come out and said, we're getting closer. Mitch McConnell has said, we're getting closer. Um, you know, it, it's funny. When you when you get to know how Congress works, and I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert at it, but when something is really important, and they, they did put the uh, government ceiling to fund the government, they ex extended it for a week. So they're going to have to do that. So they do nothing else. They're going to have to extend it or the government will shut down and uh, we don't even want to talk about what happens if that happens. Uh, but these folks know they, 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 they are very, very, you know, you know, it's partisanship at its, its worst. But the fact of the matter is they know they have to do something because if they don't get the aid out there, okay, something bad's going to happen. People are going to, I mean, there's going to be food shortages. People are not going to eat. People are going to get kicked out of their apartments. It, it, it's bad. It's going to get worse. And they know that there has to be a stimulus program. If there's not one by now, I don't know, February, March, we'll see. The other thing that's out there is something that was presented by uh, uh, Secretary, Treasury Minute of, uh, Secretary of the Treasury Mnuchin. And basically, it's a $916 billion proposal. But this one is different. This has a $600 per person stimulus check going to everybody. Remember back in uh, March with the Cures Act, everybody got $1,200 uh, who had were under, uh, I think it was under 100,000 of income for single and 200,000 of income for married filing joint. They all got $1,200. Um, so that is in there because that's what that's what that proposal says. And this is from the Republicans, if you will. Um, but there's no unemployment boost. 
So that one is favored by, I think, the White House and by um, uh, you know Mark Meadows, who's the chief of staff, and Steve Mnuchin, who's the head of the Treasury. So you know we, we have that one coming down the road, and uh, but we everybody that I've been listening to thinks the nine hundred eight billion dollar proposal by the Gang of Eight is the one that's got the most traction. That's what Megan Mortimer from the ADA has been telling me. She is she is emailing me, and uh, she sent me a text the other day that basically said, "I just want to get off this roller coaster. Make a decision. Do something." Well, if it's going to happen, folks, it's going to happen this week, and if it does. And we do get a new law. I will report to you um, on the podcast that's going to come out on the 23rd, which is going to be a week from this Wednesday. So I've got guests. I've got great guests coming up on this podcast. We're going to be talking about teledentistry. We're going to be talking about uh, you know more of my consultant friends telling you what you what to what you need to know uh, about making your practice better. Uh, more on you know, cybersecurity and. Uh, we just got all kinds of great topics to share with you to make your practice better. Um, but um, I'm holding. <laughs> I told the, told my team at I'd Bailey, I said, if there's a stimulus package, I, I, I do have to report on it. Um, we're going to get into the HHS uh, provider relief fund in a second, but I do want to remind you of one um, of one thing here. So we are putting on at I'd Bailey. Um, actually, I'm kind of the quarterback here. We are putting on a year-long webinar series for six local dental societies where I am in Southern California. And we started on December 9th. We did a, you know, we uh, we had a nice big crowd listening, uh, talking about tax planning and the research and development tax credit. But we're kicking off next year. We're doing three programs. We're doing a 12-month program uh, called the Business of Dentistry. It's going to be on uh, management consulting, student loans, uh, financial planning, retirement planning, hygiene, uh, metrics, just things to make your practice better and more profitable with some of the experts in the world. Um, it's not going to be just me. I, I only know so much, folks. So basically, it's going to be um, it's going to be a bunch of experts, and we're going to start off. Uh, we're going to start off on. Uh, on it's going to be the second Wednesday of every month. So. Put that on your calendar. Uh, January 13th, we're starting off with Kira Dent, who is a consultant out of Reno, Nevada, uh, who I recently met and has got more energy than the the Energizer buddy, Uh, more energy than Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs. I watched him today. He threw three interceptions today, which is more than he's thrown all season. He started like with 32 touchdowns and two interceptions. He threw three interceptions. Two of them were tipped, so they weren't necessarily his fault. But if you ever watch Patrick Mahomes play quarterback, uh, it is, um, it's just fun to watch. Well, this lady, Kira Dent, has energy like Patrick Mahomes does. Um, uh, and and Alan Schiff, my dear friend, in your honor, also as much uh, energy as Lamar Jackson, quarterback of your beloved Baltimore Ravens. That was one cool thing, too, that they did uh, for Cindy, uh, for Cindy Schiff. Um, I got a picture of it. They actually put, because they've been season ticket holders forever, they actually put a photo of Cindy up on the Baltimore Ravens big, you know, mega scoreboard inside uh, the Ravens stadium. And that was very cool. I mean, she was very, very well thought of, as I mentioned to you earlier. So on January 13th, we're going to have Kira Dent. And then we're going to have in February, we're going to have my dear, dear friend, from the Academy of Dental CPAs, um, Christy Boltz, talking about marketing. She's another one that I've had. I, she's come to California twice, um, lectures. She's my Peloton buddy. I'm approaching 300 rides on my Peloton. Very excited about that, getting stronger and stronger. And um, she's going to talk about marketing, and she's just unbelievable. And we have a whole great, great group of speakers. That's the first Tuesday of every month. I'm sorry, the first Wednesday, the first Wednesday from 6 to 8 Pacific time. It will be recorded and on our website. Um, January 20th, we're going to start our four-part transition series. So if you are thinking about buying a practice or buying a practice or you're thinking about selling your practice anywhere in the next five years, 10 years, whatever, you need to listen to this. So we're going to start off with my my really good friend, dental-specific attorney, Patrick Wood. Uh, Pat's here in Irvine. He's uh, 
He's as good as it gets. Pat really knows this stuff. He's been doing this for 30 plus years. He's going to talk about all the legal aspects of transitions. And that series will be the third Wednesday of every month. And then on January the 26th, I believe it is, is our first, um, is going to be our first new dentist series. We're going to do two webinars for new dentists, dentists just buying practices, uh, dentists who are thinking about buying practices or starting practices. And we're going to talk about how to use quick. We're going to have, um, we're going to teach you, you know, brand new systems. What system should you have when you're setting up a dental practice, scheduling, recall, financial arrangements, um, what you need to do from a labor law standpoint. One of the best labor laws in the country is going to be with us on that webinar. So if you want to, um, if you want to participate in these webinars, if you want to listen to them, again, 6 to 8 p.m. California time, uh, go to www.idebailey, that's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com forward slash dental series, D-E-N-T-A-L-S-E-R-I-E-S. And it'll take you to a registration page. It's free, doesn't cost anything. And, um, you get a lot of really, really good information. So I want to make sure that that we talk about that. Okay, let's move on and let's talk about my <laughs> my second favorite thing, which is the HHS uh, pro- Provider Relief uh, Bill, uh, the HHS Provider Relief Fund. So I'm going to give you a little overview again. I, I had conversation with Tyler Bernier from our firm. Tyler is an audit partner in Oklahoma City, really smart guy. I say every time I talk about somebody from Ide Bailey, I always say really smart guy, really smart lady. Just it's unbelievable. Uh, all the all the new friends I have who are much smarter than I am most days. So Tyler has kind of been our champion of the firm in 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 uh, dealing with the HHS Provider Relief Fund. Now you have to remember that for dentistry, it's easier, much easier. Uh, our firm also has a whole division that takes care of uh, other than taking care of about seven to eight hundred dentists. We have a, a division that works with hospitals and critical care units and nursing homes and things like that. And the rules for those folks are just, you know, you just want to you just want to bang your head against the wall because they're very, very complicated. But for the dentist, I think it's going to be pretty easy. So let me kind of walk you through. I'm, I've got on my, my computer screen that, I, that I'm going to go through with you here is what do you have to do here? So basically, if you want to look at this, um, you want to look at Google general and targeted distribution post payment notice of reporting requirements dated November 2nd of 2020. Um, and if you, if you just put that in there, you'll probably be able to get to this. Uh, for anybody who got more than $10,000 uh, from this program, and that's going to be many of you, uh, this is something that you should read. It's going to talk about the reporting requirements and the general overview of how this works. So let me walk you through this because I, I have a really much better understanding for dentists. Now that I've done a little more reading, I've talked to Tyler. So basically, here's what happened. All of you who applied for this money got 2% of your um, gross receipts of 2019. So if you have a million-dollar practice, you get about $20,000. Now, Folks, remember, this is $20,000 that went into your practice. It should have gone into your practice. It is intended for you to use to fight or deal with, if you will, uh, the COVID-19 virus and the pandemic. And it is taxable income, whereas the money you get for PPP that you don't have to pay back is is not taxable. It's a forgiven loan. Uh, this is taxable income. So if you got $20,000, it's taxable. So what are you supposed to do with this money? Well, there's two things you're supposed to do with this money. Number one, you're supposed to use this money to pay for, quote, healthcare related expenses attributable to coronavirus that another source has not reimbursed and is not obligated to reimburse, which may include general and administrative expenses or healthcare-related operating expenses. And we're going to get into how the PPP loan plays into this in a minute. Um, anything that you can't justify uh, for healthcare-related expenses, you are allowed to um, use this money to uh, make yourself whole as far as 
lost revenues. Now, they, they started with calculations of lost revenues uh, that a Caltech or an MIT graduate couldn't figure out, but I think they've kind of brought it down to a simple foot phase, which is basically what you do is you look at your 2019 revenues in your dental practice and you look at your 2020, and the difference uh, is going to be if you don't use this money. I'm going to give you a mathematical example in a minute here. So the, the bottom line is, is uh, you know, this is kind of like Jeopardy. I give you the answer and then you give me the question. Well, the answer is, I don't think it's going to be much of a problem for most of you to spend this money and to justify that you spent it on what it was intended for. So those are the two things here. So let's, I mean, you're going to have to, there's going to be a portal that's going to open up around the first, second week of January. Again, unless they extend the time for this, which they have not said they're going to do yet. You're going to have to give them some demographic information. Uh, it's going to be in the PRF reporting system. We'll allow HRSA and the United States Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, to assess whether recipients properly use provider relief payments consistent with the terms and conditions. So you're going to give them the type of reporting entity you are, your ID number, your national provider identifier, NPI number, that's optional, fiscal year end date, federal tax classification, your sole proprietor, limited liability company, etc. Okay, so now, they talk about expenses attributable to coronavirus not reimbursed by other sources. So, expenses attributable to coronavirus may be incurred both in treating confirmed or suspected cases of coronavirus, preparing for possible or actual coronavirus cases, maintaining healthcare delivery capacity, etc. Okay, so there's two categories that they let you uh, they let you use um, in this in this particular section. If uh, if you receive money between ten thousand and four hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine, uh, you'll have to report your healthcare related expenses uh, net of other reimbursed sources again, payments received from insurance and our patients, which which that's really none of you are going to have to apply for that. So, G and A expenses, uh, any additional mortgage or facility that you have. Well, most of you have the same facility. Uh, premiums for property, malpractice, business insurance, or other insurance relevant to operations. Again, probably not going to affect you. Additional personnel you had to hire. Well, you guys probably have had to hire fewer people if your practice didn't come back, but um, I don't think you had to hire more people because you have to deal with coronavirus. You just have to wear more PPE and change your protocols. Uh, more fringe benefits, lease payments, utilities or operations, or other GNA. I don't think most of you are going to have GNA expenses, but if you do have additional people, maybe you hired uh, someone uh, to to help you with IT or something like that. Then you would you would put that down. Then you have healthcare related expenses attributable to coronavirus. And they define it in a footnote here in this in this notice as is noted above, expenses attributable to coronavirus may be incurred in both direct patient care and overhead activities related to treatment of confirmed or suspected cases of coronavirus, preparing for possible or actual coronavirus cases, maintaining maintaining healthcare and delivery capacity, which includes operating and maintaining facilities, etc. So basically. You know, you're allowed whatever expenses you had because, you know, you are basically providing dental services, but you are preventing COVID-19 by taking all the steps with PPE and um, aerosol um, changes in your practice and uh, UV practices that you've uh, undertaken. So, So you qualify for this. So number one, you get to use the supplies. Now, these are these are PPE, expenses paid for purchase of supplies used to prevent, prepare for, that's you, you're not, again, remember, dentists don't prevent um, COVID-19 other than by saying that you come into the dental office, you won't get COVID-19. But, um, you know, prepare for or respond to the coronavirus during the reporting period. Such items could include personal protective equipment, hand sanitizer, or supplies for patient screening. So what I have heard, and the way this is going to work, is it's going to be your incremental cost. So here's the example. Most of you go into the operatory, uh, you know, the dentist, the assistant, the hygienist, 
goes into the treatment room and you're wearing before COVID a paper mask and gloves. Uh, and you know, if you have a uniform, you are in a uniform, or if you were in street clothes, you were in street clothes, or maybe doctors in a suit and tie, well, I mean, a shirt and tie, whatever it is. So with COVID-19, you're now basically wearing a paper mask. You're wearing an N95 mask. You're wearing a face shield and you're wearing gloves as usual, as well as a gown of some sort. So everything except the paper mask and the gloves are to fight coronavirus because you had already been doing that. So you'll have to keep track of those expenses. Second is equipment. Expenses paid for purchase of equipment used to prevent, prepare for, or respond to the coronavirus during the reporting period, such as ventilators, updates to HVAC systems, etc. Okay, so any equipment, most of my doctors, my million-dollar producers, probably spent somewhere between five and fifteen thousand dollars on this stuff. So a lot, and they were gonna make you depreciate it to figure out how much you could apply. Well, that went away real quickly when everybody started yelling and screaming, especially the CPAs, because it was pretty ridiculous. So you might have gotten $20,000 and maybe 10 to 15 of it is spent just in the equipment that you bought. Um, you know, here are three other subjects, three other categories. Information technology, expenses paid for IT or interoperability systems. See, I got that one right. Interoperability systems to expand or preserve care delivery during the reporting period, such as electronic health record licensing fees, telehealth infrastructure. If you went and upgraded your, your bandwidth and your system to be able to do telehealth to your patients while you were closed, that covered, that's covered. Increased bandwidth and teleworking to support remote workforce. So uh, again, most, uh, you know, in, in our CPA practice, I've been working at home for nine months now with the exception of four or five days. Uh, kind of hard for you to do dentistry out of your house. So, uh, but you might've had people while you were closed working at home and you might've set them up at home and maybe you bought them some equipment. I don't know. Uh, facilities, expenses paid for facility related costs used to prevent, prepare for, or respond to the coronavirus during the reporting period, such as lease or purchase of permanent or temporary structures, probably not going to be you guys, or to modify facilities to accommodate patient treatment practices, revised due to coronavirus. For example, the plexiglass that you put in your um, front office to block you from your uh, your patients from the front office. That is a deductible expense. Keep track of that. And then other healthcare-related expenses, any other actual expenses not previously captured above that were paid to prevent, prepare for, or respond to coronavirus. So think about anything that you spent and start gathering your information. The second so let's say I got $20,000 and it turns out I spent $12,000 on coronavirus um, uh, related expenses that we just talked about. You still got $8,000 that you got to justify. So the way you're going to do that is through the lost revenue calculations. Very simple. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go ahead and you're going to take the um, amount of money that you uh, that your collections were for 2019 you're going to subtract 2020, and presumably it's going to be lower. So let's use a mathematical example, all right? And I'm going to go off of uh, Dr. Wiederman because that is, uh, that's what we do here. Dr. We Dr. Wiederman is the example. I get lots of mail saying that I'm Dr. Wiederman. So uh, basically the way this works is that let's say Dr. Wiederman got $20,000 uh, from the Provider Relief Fund. Dr. Wiederman spent $10,000. Now, this is through calendar 2020. Because remember, if you don't spend all the money in 2020, you got one more shot, which is six months in 2021. Yet you're going to have the portals going to open January, first two weeks of January, probably, and you have till February 15th to report. So Dr. Wiederman got $20,000 in HHS provider relief funds. He spent $10,000 on PPE specifically to fight coronavirus, what I was just talking about. He spent $5,000 on an air purification system for all of his treatment rooms. So he spent $15,000. So that leaves $5,000. In 2019, Dr. Wiederman collect so, so he's, he's got $5,000. He's got to justify. Now, you could spend another $5,000 on PPE and do a second reporting, or you can avoid the second reporting by looking at your reduced revenues. So 
In 2019, Dr. Wiederman got a million dollars in had a million dollars in revenues. Uh, in 2020, he had 850,000. He's down 15%, which is about where most of my folks are as far as revenues go, because you were shut down for a month and a half or two months. Uh, shut down for two to two and a half months. What we have to do, though, is to that 850, we have to add the fact that Dr. Wiederman got a $90,000 PPP loan and he got a $10,000 EIDL grant. So you got $100,000 in eight. Now, you also have to add any money you got from uh, state and local governments. There are a lot of cities and counties all around the country, and we have listeners in every state and I think 65 countries. Um, and, and you know, th- those folks might have gotten a, I mean, the city of Dayton, Ohio might have given you a $10,000 grant because they got a, they had some money in their operating fund that they were helping small businesses in Dayton, Ohio, or it could be in Oklahoma City, or it could be in, uh, you know, Santa Fe, New Mexico, wherever it is. Okay. So, if you got that additional grant, you have to add that to the to, to this total. So Dr. Wiederman collected eight fifty in twenty twenty, ninety thousand in a PPP loan. I have to add that in and ten thousand from an IELTS grant. So his total collections for this purpose are nine fifty. Remember, folks, that he collected a million dollars in twenty nineteen. So he's got an additional amount. He's had a loss of revenues according to this calculation of fifty thousand dollars. Well, he only needs five thousand of that because. That $5,000 is the amount he didn't spend on supplies in the purification system. So he's going to be fine. Now, we do have doctors, I've had several of them, who are actually going to be at or near or even over where they were. They have just picked up. It was like it was an eight-week vacation. They just picked up where they left off and the pent-up demand. They were seeing 120 140% of what they were seeing before the pandemic. So for those folks, you might not have any reduction in revenues. I'd say that's going to be 10% of you, maybe. I hope it's more, but I don't think so. So then if, you know, the worst thing that happens is you'll have to go and spend that money in the next six months, or maybe you buy some additional PPE equipment at the end of the year. So you should start gathering all of your calculations and your revenues uh, as far as being able to determine uh, what you spent and be ready to do the reporting. It'll be all done uh, on a portal via computer. I uh, don't think you're gonna be mailing anything in. Uh, I don't think it's gonna be a big deal for most of you, but you do need to start doing those calculations to see if you're gonna be able to spend this money. Because if you don't spend this money by June 30th of 2021, you're gonna have to give some of it back and you don't wanna do that. So that's kind of where we are on. Um, on PPP, again, we got some great opportunities, folks, to, to po- possibly get some more government uh, assistance. But again, the devil's in the details. And, and like I said, I am holding uh, I'm holding next week's podcast, the one that's going to be on on the 23rd. If we get a stimulus bill that is passed, and if it has a lot of details, I will be all over this for you because that's what I do. And I will let you know what's going on. We will probably do a webinar uh, for our dental clients, and we'll certainly invite all of our listeners to that. Um, but uh, you know, again, uh, if you're not a member of, if your CPA is not a member of the Academy of Dental CPAs, um, you may not get this information unless you listen to the podcast. So this would be a great time to think about switching over to somebody who really understands the dental profession. We will be more than happy to help you. At I Bailey, uh, and anybody else in the ADCPA, uh, are, we're all going to be, you know, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if our president, Alan, who I've been talking about on this podcast, calls a Zoom meeting of the group to talk about what the new stimulus looks like. I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. Okay. So I got a little bit left I want to share with you today. And basically, uh, just a little more about, um, a little more about your end tax planning, just kind of reiterate this because we're now in December and you've still got time to make moves. So number one, if you're going to buy some equipment, Henry Shine, Patterson, Benco, Pearson, all the uh, Darby, all the companies, they're ready. They know you're coming. They're, they're stocked up. Uh, they're stocked up on digital scanners. They're stocked up on dental chairs. They're stocked up on CAD CAM machines, uh, digital x-ray, lasers, CBCT, you name it, they got it. 
They got it for you. They'll sell it to you. Has to be placed in service before the end of the year. Make sure if you're an S corporation and you buy a bunch of equipment before the end of the year that you check with your CPA and just ask this one question. CPA, do I have sufficient S corporation, if you're an S corporation, S corporation basis to take this tax deduction this year? Very important. Here's an example. If I'm an S corporation and I have zero basis in my S corporation interest and I go out and I get a bank loan from uh, Bank of Wiederman, everything's of Wiederman, of course, uh, Bank of Wiederman for $100,000 to buy a CBCT machine. I place it in service, like Art said, on December 24th, oh, maybe maybe December 27th, December 24th is a day for golfing or something like that. Um, and um, you know, we, we place it in service. And the next thing we know, our, you know, our equipment rep says, yeah, you're going to get a tax deduction. Well, you don't get S corporation basis for a bank loan. You get it if you put the money in personally, but if you don't, you may get a very, very bad surprise because your equipment rep isn't an accountant. Not that they're a bad person. They're just not an accountant. So ask your CPA. If you're a partnership, sole proprietor, um, you will get basis. Uh, why the rules are that way? I don't know. I didn't make them. Uh, a lot of people say they're silly, but that's the way they are. So number one is equipment. Number two, pension plan. Folks, if you want to set up a pension plan and you haven't done it before the end of the year, you have until the end of the year. All you need to do so if you get... Let's say, and I'm finding a lot of clients that are having a lot of money sitting in their account at the end of the year because they got the PPP money, they spent it, they got an idle loan, they got the HHS money, uh, they haven't been paying as much payroll, they haven't been spending as much personally. So I got doctors with who had 100, 150, 200,000 in their bank account that never had that kind of money before. So, you know, if, if you've got money that is not borrowed money, and we don't like borrowed money to do this, but if you've got money from this year, uh, what you want to think about is a retirement plan. All you need to do, you can't, it's too late to set up a simple IRA for this year, just too late, because you had to have done that by October 1st, because there's certain legal notices you have to give out to your employees. But you can set up a profit sharing plan with a 401k component before the end of the year. I've got a doctor who's setting up a defined benefit, cash balance defined benefit plan before the end of the year. He's going to put a half a million dollars into it. He says, I can do that. I said, uh-huh, you can, and I'll help you. Um, so, you know, I don't invest the money. I don't do investment management. Our firm does, but I don't. But we help get the plan set up and all this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, these are the types of plans. So if you have $50,000 that you can put away, maybe we talk about that. So talk to your CPA. They can hook you up with a third-party administrator. If they don't know how to do that, call some, call one of us at the Academy of Dental CPAs or call me and, and we'll get you all hooked up and everything with the right people. So pension plan is number two. Putting your kids on payroll is number three. Now, you can put your kids on payroll as long as they provide legal services for you. I mean, we have lots of teenagers that stuff envelopes and, uh, you know, some of these kids who, I mean, my, my, my joke that I've said on the podcast before is that I have, uh, uh, I had children, not because I wanted to raise children and because I wanted to have the fulfillment of, of having children, watching them grow up into good adults, which my two boys have done. But I had children in order for them to teach me technology and how things work. Uh, and how I can get on to Instagram and learn someday how to do Facebook and all this stuff. Well, you know, these kids are really sharp. They can help you with your website. They can help you with your social media marketing. And I do see that happening in some of my practices. And you can pay kids up to $12,400 without taking out any taxes because the standard deduction is $12,400. So if you do that and you are in a 37% marginal tax bracket federal and maybe a 13% state, the highest tax bracket, you could save half of that money in taxes. It could be a nice deal and you can take that money. Maybe you give some of it to the kid to do whatever they're going to do. And you say to the kid, listen, kid, don't call the kid, call them by their names. Um, you say, listen, why don't we have a deal? We're going to take, you know, 
three quarters of this money or two thirds or one half of this money and you can spend it on whatever you want. And the other part is going to get spent on your college fund. And depending on how reasonable your kid is, they might just go for that. You might have to do some negotiating. There might have to be some uh, a mediator, maybe a retired judge to help you negotiate with your 12-year-old, but you can figure it out. So that's a that's another thing. Another thing you do is buy an automobile before the end of the year. If you use it, now remember, here's the rules. You only have to use that automobile for business purposes for the time that you own it. So if you buy an automobile on the 29th of December, and the only thing you do is drive to see your CPA or drive to a, a you know to the bank or drive to a lab or drive somewhere else, you might be able to justify 80% business usage. Now, you may not next year, but you can justify business usage. If you buy a car that's over 1,000, 1, I'll, I'll be all right. That's a bicycle <laughs> or you know, that's, a, that's a moped maybe. If you buy a car that's over 6,000 6, pounds, uh, GVW, uh, which is ground vehicle weight, it's, uh, it's uh, GVWU, I think it's called. You got to be careful. Uh, make sure that you get the right, uh, the right statement from the, um, from the car dealer. It's either in the owner's manual or it's on the side door of your car, the, the driver's side front door. You'll find that information. If it's over 6,000 pounds, you can take 100% bonus depreciation. If you're an S corporation, ask your CPA, does, do I have S corporation basis for this or do I not? And you have to plan for that. But that's another way to do it. If the car is less than 6,000 pounds and you don't want to drive uh, a one, an, uh, an F-150 or you don't want to drive um, a Tahoe or an Expedition or, or one of those big 6,000 pound cars, then you can get a deduction of up to 18,000, uh, a little over 18, I think it's $18,800 for 2020 times the business percentage. I never recommend that you take more than a hundred, more than a hundred percent, more than maybe 80, 85% uh, business usage. Cause again, you know, don't take a hundred percent, by the way, don't do it because if you do it, the IRS auditor is going to tell you no. The only way you get 100% business usage out of your car, folks, is if you buy your car, you drive it directly to the office, you park it at the office, and then you drive another car to work. And then when you do your business driving, you go from work in that new car to wherever you're going to go. And then you come back. If that's what you do, if you are that crazy to do that, then you'll get 100% business usage. If you want to take 100% business usage because your buddy at the Dental Society did it and he didn't get, he got away with it, well, you know, that's another conversation for another day. So automobiles, another thing you can do in the last, you know, couple of weeks of this year to, to save some taxes. And the last thing I want to share with you today on taxes is donating appreciated stock. So let's say that Dr. Wiederman here um, Dr. Wiederman, I used this, I made this up all by myself. Um, some people think I'm funny sometimes, some people don't. Um, so Dr. Wiederman likes fruit and Dr. Wiederman only buys stocks that have the name of a fruit in it. You might see where I'm going with this. And Dr. Wiederman, since his first name is A, uh, it starts with A, started with A for the fruit. So he decided that he was going to buy a stock that was uh, a stock with the word Apple in it. So he bought some Apple stock back when the um, iPhone one came out in the late 80, in the late 1800s, folks. That's when it came out. That's what I heard. The first iPhone came out back then. No, it didn't come out back then. But that was you know, my futile attempt at humor. So he bought it, and he's got a hundred thousand dollar gain. If I basically sell the stock and I pay twenty percent let's say 15% federal tax and 5%, uh, uh, 10% state tax. That would be what it is in my home state of California. So if I do that, then I've only got $75,000 left to donate to my charity. What you want to do instead is you want to take that stock and you want to donate it directly to the charity. So you give uh, your church, um, your dental school, you give them $100,000 worth of Apple stock. And it doesn't matter how much of a gain you have in it. 
you will pay no income tax on that stock. You will get a full $100,000 tax deduction for the donation of that stock. Now, there is one rule you must follow. You must have held that stock for at least a year and a day. Okay, so don't give stock. Maybe you bought Zoom at the beginning of the pandemic that's gone up 8 zillion percent and you want to donate that. If you've only held that stock for seven or nine months, don't do it because you will be limited to your basis, what you paid for it. So the stock that you donate to charity has to be, should be appreciated stock and you must hold it for a year and a day. Uh, if you do that, then you will get a full $100,000 deduction. Uh, there's another thing out there called donor advised funds where you can donate to, you know, a lot of this is done through brokerage firms. Uh, let's say you want to put $100,000 in, but you don't want to give it out this year. Uh, you'll dole it out a little later. You make the donation now, you get the deduction now, and then down the road, the uh, person in, in charge of the donor advised funds who you have say in will go ahead and dole that out. So that's something your investment advisor can go ahead and help you with. So I, yeah, it's funny. I always worry when I do my own podcasts, whether I'm going to have enough stuff to talk about, but it just seems to take that hour. And uh, again, I want to tell everybody that how appreciative I am. Uh, we've gotten so many kind comments and, you know, I had one specialist who sent me an email and he basically said, he said, Art, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have gotten a PPP loan for $103,000. And by the way, Art, it's saved in my practice. And that's really gratifying to hear. And I've gotten lots of kind words, as have all of our members of the Academy and the folks here at I'd Bailey. Uh, we're here to get you through 2021. We're going to get you through the second round of PPP. We're going to get you through the filing of forgiveness. If you are selling your practice, you must file forgiveness. Uh, for, for You must file for forgiveness before you sell. And you must put the amount of money from your that equates your PPP loan from the sale into an interest-bearing escrow account. You have to do that. Um, so if you have any questions, you can certainly... You can call me at 657-279-3243, or you can email at awiederman at idbailey.com. Again, don't forget to go on to our website. For all these great webinars we got coming up in 2021, www.idbailey.com forward slash dental series. Uh, again, folks, if you feel inclined, if you knew my good friend, uh, you know my good friend Alan Schiff and his late wife, late wife Cindy, um, make a donation to the ALS Foundation. We will put that information in the show notes. Uh, other than that, I think I'm good for today. Uh, I hope all of you uh, have a wonderful week. It's going to be, it might be the last uh, full week of the year for many of you. Uh, work hard. And remember my five-word saying, which is failure is not an option. This is Art Wiederman for the Art of Dental Finance and Management signing off. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. The Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast is produced by Ide Bailey in partnership with Art Wiederman, CPA, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, and the Academy of Dental CPAs. For audience questions and feedback, email Art Wiederman, awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Or you may call Art at 657-279-3243.